0: The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at NorrisFerryChurch.org. Good morning. How are you doing this morning? Good. All right, Jaden. Jaden's doing well. Hey, I have a question. Oh, I want to I start a statement, a saying, and let's see if you can finish the saying to see if you've heard of it before. Do as I say not as I do. Okay, you're all guilty, just like me. Paul's about to hammer us for saying that. Do as I say, not as I do. When do we say that? Why do we say that? We say that when we're trying to teach someone, maybe it's our children, and we mess up. And then we're like, hey, you know, I'm not going to always get this right, so what I, when I mess up, don't do what I do, because that's not good, but do what I say. And honestly, we probably use it as a way out, of being held accountable for our actions too many times. So, so Paul is going to say today the complete opposite of that. He's going to say, uh, be imitators of me. He's going to say, do as I say and do as I do. Uh, it's a terribly convicting text. Uh, it's very challenging for us today to think about us living a life that, that exemplifies Christ, that follows Christ such that we can tell others, our children, our grandchildren, our co-workers, whoever we're mentoring and discipling, hey, follow me and I'm going to show you Jesus. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be saying, hey, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Think about it this way to, to, to really convict us. If someone just followed our life and we didn't speak, how much would they live like Christ? If our kids, unfortunately, we know what it's like to have kids, right? It's like having little walking tape recorders around the house and little video. Nowadays, they literally, you don't know this, parents and grandparents, but they do. They're sitting there when you're doing stuff and they're filming you and they're putting it on social media on their little private uh, social media accounts, aren't you? Tell me you're not doing it. Look at them, they're all like, I'm not going to admit to that. They are. They are. Which, hey, that's just more accountability. Are we following Christ? But they'll like mess with their friends and they'll be like, look at my parents freaking out, you know. And uh, so do as I do. Be imitators of me. Follow me. As I follow Christ. That's the point of the message today. That's what Paul is going to say. Look what he says. We're going to be looking at, turning your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 21. I'm going to skip to the bottom and show you what he says. And then we're going to work through the passage uh, looking for characteristics of Paul. But Paul says, I urge you uh, in uh, verse 16, chapter 4 is 16. He says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Do as I do. And he says, that's why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved, my faithful child in the Lord, someone whom I modeled what it looks like to follow Christ. I sent Timothy to you, why? To remind you of my ways. To remind you of my ways in Christ. I lived Christ, the Christ, the cross life. I lived that before Timothy. I sent Timothy to tell you, hey, remember how Paul lives and how he lived when he was among you be imitators of Paul. He says, and this is what I teach him everywhere in every church. So it's it's crazy. I mean, Paul is like, listen, I've been living it in your presence. You've been boasting, you've been prideful. Remember what he said last week? He's like, look, in Christ, there's no room for boasting. And that insecurity that's deep within your soul because of sin and brokenness, he says, You need to understand that's leading you to boast, and that's leading you to self-exalt. That's leading you to be all about getting glory. He's like, look, Christ has given you everything. It's all yours in Christ. You don't need to boast. It's already yours. You don't lack anything. And so you don't need to grasp for glory. You don't need to grasp for more. You need to know it's all yours in Christ. And so he says, don't boast, but give yourself away because you've got everything in Christ. Those were his words, and now he's saying, like, like I lived before you, be imitators of me. I didn't boast, I didn't act like I needed some glory, I didn't act like, exalt me, don't exalt me, exalt Christ, like I did when I was in your presence, and so it's a real challenging word for us today, to, to live authentic lives as followers of Christ, and call others to to follow Christ as they follow us. Lord, I pray that just our time in the word this morning uh, will be effective and helpful in, in leading us to follow you faithfully and obeying your scriptures that we might be able to say to our children, our grandchildren, our friends, coworkers, people that you've put in our lives that we're investing in to say, follow me as I follow Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so Paul says, be imitators of me. So let's look at four characteristics of Paul's life that we see in these verses. These are characteristic of him. First of all, we see in verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1, Paul considered himself to be a steward. This is his identity in Christ. He says, I am a steward. He says, this is how one should regard us. This is how you should think about us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So he uses two words to describe himself. He says, number one, think of us as servants. And number two, think of us as stewards. That's really two words saying the same idea. The word servant is not the same one he's used previously. This one is a servant of a household. Uh, Servant who, uh, who has been entrusted, the master who owns the house, owns the assets in the home, has the children, has said, I entrust all of this to your care. You are my servant, the servant of the master's household. So that idea of servant carries with an idea of being a servant of the master, managing the affairs of the master. But none of it belongs to the servant. And since none of it belongs to the servant, this carries with it the idea of stewardship. And so he says, I'm a steward. A steward is someone who manages the assets or the property of someone else. He knows he's not the owner of it. And as the steward or the manager, like we know in financial uh, management, that if your financial manager is entrusted with your retirement and your investments, They have a fiduciary responsibility to manage those according to what is best for you as the owner. Even if it costs them. Even if they say, I could make more money if I did this. It doesn't matter. It's not for them to be be paid, but it's for them to be paid to do what's best for you. And that's what a steward is. A manager of someone else's treasure. And they have an obligation, a responsibility to manage that for what is best for the owner. Paul says, that's who I am. Don't boast in me. I'm a servant. I'm a steward. Well, what is he a steward of? He answers that in that verse. He says, steward of the mysteries of God. Paul says, says, when I go to work, he was a tent maker. When he was planting churches, when he was doing life, he had the mindset of, I am a servant of God, I am a servant of others, I am a steward of the mysteries of God. What in the world does it mean to be a steward of the mysteries of God? What are the mysteries of God that he is stewarding? Well, I think we see the simplest explanation is just a few chapters earlier in chapter 2, verse 7. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7. He says, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. A secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. A wisdom that was a secret that God revealed. And none of the rulers of this age understood this secret wisdom, this mystery of God. None of them understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The simplest way to say what are the mysteries of God that Paul says he is a servant of and a steward of, the simplest way to say that is the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. The simplest way to think about it is that God had this plan of wisdom. His, his plan was that no one would be saved by their efforts no one would earn merit with God by their by their good deeds, by their religion, that it would be a meritless based system. That you could only be made right with God based on his gift of grace. And that Christ took the penalty for your sin on the cross. He died. He was buried absorbing the wrath of God for you when he rose from the grave. Demonstrating the truthfulness of his claims that he was God in flesh. Had power over death. He resurrected to the right hand of the father. This is not coming from the mind of God. Nobody would think of this logically. It's diametrically opposed to what we would come up in our own minds. We would come up with a religious system, a merit-based system that exalts ourselves out of the insecurities of our soul that says, I've got to do something to fix this and I'm going to do this, this, and this and that'll equate, I'm okay with God. And God says, that's not how it works. It's a system of grace, unmerited favor. And Paul says, the only reason we know that is because God revealed it to us. This is a mystery that God graciously enlightened us with to understand and the bible is like various aspects of a diamond looking at all the different angles of the beautiful reflections of the glorious diamond the bible is just verse after verse of looking at different aspects of the glories of the mysteries of god and his grace And Paul says, I am a steward of this message. I'm a steward of this reality. I'm a servant of this. As a steward, it makes me a servant of others so that they may know those mysteries. And when you think about the impact of that message, I don't want to make it sound trite. It's hard to give it the weight. But think about it. You have been entrusted with the, the understanding of how to have life after death. This is real. Life after death, he's entrusted that knowledge to you, that mystery. You have the the knowledge, you have been entrusted with the treasure of being able to tell someone, and I say this with, with gentleness, you can tell someone how ultimately they will be healed from cancer. Maybe not in this life, but you can tell them this is how you can know you will be healed. This is a mystery to to the world. This is not something they will come up with in their own logic. You have the, the knowledge to tell them this gospel of grace will transform. It has the power to transform your marriage. This knowledge has the power to give you hope in the darkest of situations. This wisdom of God can, can give your family, can restore a family with, with a child who is completely in rebellion. This mystery that God has revealed has been entrusted to you if you are in Christ. It should define who you are. You are a steward of the mysteries of the gospel of grace. Grace. And it comes with explosive implications. And what, what an incredible privilege it is to be entrusted with that. Maybe, maybe we don't get the whole spiritual stuff, but I know what we do get. We do get money, right? Let's pretend we got a kingdom, old school kingdom, and you're a peasant in that kingdom. And I'm the king. I like this analogy. I'm the king in the kingdom in the castle. And I call you peasants in and I say, here is a bucket of gold coins bucket of jewels, bucket of the kingdom's treasures, and I'm stacking it on the back of a cart, and you're going to ride that donkey out of town. You would be like, whoa, I have a tremendous trust with the king. And the king says, now, I want you to take all these jewels and these gold coins, and I want you to spread it out among the kingdom. I'm, I'm trusting you with this. I want you to spread the glories of the kingdom throughout the kingdom to all the people. That's, that's just a glimpse. The glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the glory of God, is infinitely more valuable than that. And he has entrusted it to you, his people, as the king. It should define who we are. It should define no matter what station of life you are in as a parent, as a grandparent, as a, a worker, a, as an employee, an employer, a, as a neighbor, in every in your hobby, wherever you go, there should be this internal identity that is, that is your operating system. It's the context in which you process everything. I am a steward of the glorious mysteries of God. What a treasure he has entrusted to us. Is that how you think of yourself? That's what Paul says. Follow me. And I think of myself as a steward. And that stewardship responsibility, in turn, turns me into a servant, a servant of God and a servant of others. Next, we see how Paul thinks about himself in the terms that he knows he is accountable. He is a steward and he knows he is accountable. Look at verse 2. He says, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Paul knows that he will be judged by the master of the household when the master returns and he will find Paul. How has Paul been dealing with the affairs of the household? How faithful has Paul been with the trust that the master has given him? As stewards, we need to know that we are accountable. There will be a day of accountability for how we stewarded the treasure that God has entrusted to us. Verse 3, we see this accountability, though it's scary, also can be freeing because we can often find ourselves being criticized or people judging us in how we live our lives according to the scriptures. And Paul says in verse 3, with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you. He's talking to the church who's turned critical toward him, the church who thinks Paul is nothing. Paul is, is, was elementary. Paul was weak, and he came in here, just pathetic, and, and they've gotten into this whole, man, look at Apollos, and look what we've got, this higher, better way, and exalting self and man, and, and they're turning, and they're, the word judge, he says, look, I'm not so worried about how you judge me. That word judge is like a, a, an examination to see if an indictment should be brought against them. And so he's being criticized, he's being examined, he being, he's being judged, and, and he says, you know what? I'm not so worried about that, because I know I'm going to be judged by the king. Ultimately, I answer to one, and that's the audience of one, and that's God who has entrusted me this gospel message. He says, in fact, I don't even judge myself. He says, look, I'm critical of my own self sometimes. And I, I, I need to, he says, I don't even answer ultimately to my own feelings or my own thoughts. I judge my performance and my, my standard is the word of God. And if you disagree with me or if you criticize me, as long as I'm faithful to God and what he's revealed in his word, I'm okay with that. Now, personally, I struggle with that. Paul says, I'm good. Because I've learned that I answer to God. And he goes on to say, not to you, not to myself. For I'm not, he says, but I'm not aware of anything against myself. It's not like I'm saying this because I'm high in something. He says, I'm good, but I am, I'm not acquitted by my own thoughts. It is the Lord who judges me. Do you live each day knowing the Lord judges your decisions? Students, what you did this weekend, it's ultimately not about what your parents think. You see, God gave parents as authority over you to teach you that you will answer ultimately to the Lord for every decision. Parents are just a, a picture of God's authority. And if you meet God's authority, if, you're, if the Lord is pleased with how you've lived, then you'll be okay with, with your parents. And in fact, if if the parents aren't okay with you and and God is okay with you, you should be more concerned about what God thinks. It's the same for all of us as adults. Everything we do ultimately answers to the Lord. And there's a freedom in that, especially for people pleasers like me. I have to learn, I'm growing, I'm getting better, I'm a lot better than I was 20 years ago. But I still have to remember, if the Lord is pleased, I don't need to be so hung up on what other people are thinking, and the same is true for all of us. So in verse 5, we see it continues, and notice in these verses the time perspective. This is something carried throughout. Last week, we saw that the standard of judgment, the standard that we use, the faulty standard was this world and the here and now, but the the right standard to judge life by is the eternal standard. We see that carrying through in this week in verse 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. That's when judgment time is, is when the Lord comes. And the Lord who will bring to light the things that now, the things now hidden in darkness, the things that people think they're getting away with, the Lord's is going to judge and he's going to reveal all of it, and he will disclose the purposes of the heart. And at that time, when Christ returns, then each one will receive his commendation from the Lord. And so Paul lived with this eternal perspective. He says, There's a judgment coming. It's not going to all be right here and right now. I may not get what's right now, but if I can live for the eternal perspective when Christ returns, he'll bring the, the he'll reveal all that's hidden. He'll finally give his people commendation. Whether that's good or whether that's not good. Speaking of that same day in Matthew 24, Jesus says, and he uses the same analogy of the master returning home, checking on the servants who were managing the household. Listen to what he says. He said, "Therefore, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is going to come at an hour that you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant?" whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Who will be found faithful when the, when the master returns home and finds those who have been trusted to care for the household, to f- dispense the food of grace, to, to give the bread to his people, to spread the gospel? Who will be found faithful when he suddenly appears when the servants least expect it? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him or her over all his possessions. A day is coming when the Lord will return and he will look at our lives and he says those who will be faithful will be given so much more to reign and rule with Christ, to steward the glories of God eternally. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master's gone, and he begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour that he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Terrible day of judgment for those are not truly servants of the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ so Paul is saying to us as pastors as community group leaders as people who stand for Christ or the gospel of Jesus Christ in in this community you will be scrutinized you will be criticized you will be judged, you will be interrogated, you will be treated as one who is being examined as to decide whether or not to bring an indictment against you. The only way you will continue to be faithful is, you, is if you understand I answer ultimately to one person. The Lord is my judge. And as long as he judges me as faithful, then I'm good. That's success. Oz Guinness is a a great thinker on this topic, and he talks a lot about and writes a lot about Puritans, the Puritans and how how they lived, they got this. He said this one statement that struck me this week. He says, the Puritans lived as if they swallowed gyroscopes. We modern Christians, referring to a lot of church leaders, he said, we modern Christians live as if we have swallowed gallop poles. Like, we're going to take the temperature of what everyone thinks before we make any decisions for the church. Oh, the church needs to go this way because we've done a poll like politicians and say, we, you know, survey says that we need to go this way. And he says, no, you need to answer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he says you do, you do it because you answer to him and him alone. That should be the north star. That should be your compass. That's the direction you walk in. And everything else, you don't need to worry about it. It's freeing. It's a responsibility and it's scary, but it's also freeing. I don't care what everyone else is saying as long as God says, Well done, well done. So we're to be stewards of this incredible, glorious treasure, knowing that we live each day accountable ultimately to the Lord. And next, we see Paul was the the best word I could come up with this incredibly rich passage is Paul was humble humble. Listen to these verses. Look at verse 6. Paul says, look, I've been applying all these things to myself and to Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us. There it is, an example again. Look, I, I've been pointing to us because I want you to learn, learn by our example, I want you to learn by us not to go beyond what is written. That none of you may be puffed up in favor against one another. He's he's saying, look, be humble. Don't be puffed up. Don't be exalting this guy or that guy. Be humble. Do what I did. Remember how I lived. I lived humbly before you. I wasn't boasting. I wasn't exalting myself. He says, for who sees any difference, anything different in you? He says, look, I've been applying this to myself. But it's no different for you. You're in the same boat I am. I can't exalt. Don't exalt me. I'm nothing. This is all about God and his grace. I'm a servant. I'm a steward. This is not about me. And guess what? It's the same for you. You've got no room for boasting. How many of you raise your hand if you've got anything that God didn't give to you? Come on, stand up right now. I see that hand, Jaden. You didn't mean that. Put that back down, baby. Yeah, so, so, so you, you, you don't have anything to brag about. Everything you have, God gave to you. Everything, it's like, it's like a child growing up in the house going, Yeah, look at my house, look at my car. It's like, You didn't, what did you do to get that? Everything you had was given to you. Paul's saying that's true of all of us. So there's no room for any of us to boast. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? If it, wasn't, if it was all by grace, then why do you boast as if it was by works? Because it wasn't by works. For you or for me, it's all by grace. So there's no room for boasting. And then in verse 8, he launches into a bit of sarcasm to make his point, contrasting very powerfully their way of life, their attitude to his way of life and his attitude. Look at verse 8. He says, Already, time reference, already, this life, the here and now, already, you have all you want. Already, you've become rich. Without us, you've become kings. You have arrived. He says, that's the way it is. You're living for the here and now, and you've exalted yourself. You've got all you want. You're rich. You're kings. He says, that's how you're living. But let me tell you how I live. I live. And then he says, Well, first of all, he says, Well, I would that you did reign. I wish you were kings, so I wouldn't have to go through what I'm going through, but you're not kings. He says, Let me tell you, I think, for I think in verse 9, I think God has exhibited us apostles as the least, the last of all. We're like men sentenced to death because we've become a spectacle to the world, to angels, to, to man. What is he doing there? He's using an analogy. If you saw the movie Gladiator, anyone ever seen that movie Gladiator? Russell Crowe? Remember he was captured and he was enslaved and he was chained up with other slaves. When a a king would go in and they would conquer another kingdom, they would enslave their warriors and their, their leaders and they would chain them up and march them as spectacles into the Colosseum with all the cheering and jeering crowd laughing at them, mocking them as they marched into their death. Paul says, that's, that's how I think of myself as a, the apostles. Just chain the apostles up and march us into the world, Colosseum, to mock us and to put us to death. Oh, but you think because you're in Christ, you've, you've been made a king right now? You already are rich, you got everything you want. That's not how my life is lived he said, That's not how we apostles live. We are men sentenced to death because we've become spectacles to the world, to the angels, and to men. He continues in verse 10. And listen to this, to the, to the powerful way he thinks. We're fools for Christ's sake. <laughs> not, not, we're fools for Christ's sake. He's saying, We're fools for Christ's sake. We are fools. He's not like getting mad. He's like, you you get, you get what I'm saying. So he's saying, we are fools for the sake of Christ. And we are weak, but you are strong. You see the difference? He says, you see yourself as strong, we see ourselves as weak. You are held in honor, but we are in disrepute. Notice the time. In this present hour, in this life, we're hungry and thirsty, poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless and we labor hard working with our own hands and when we're reviled we re- here's how we respond we bless when persecuted we endure when slandered we entreat we have become and are still as long as we are in this age before Christ returns we are like the scum of the world we're the refuse We're the dregs. We're the stuff that scraped off the streets. That's that's who we are in this world. In this age, in this life, that's who we are. They consider themselves to be wise, strong, honored, got all they want, kings. He says, we're scum of the earth. We're made spectacles in this world. Is that how we view our Life in this age before Christ returns. There's no room for triumphalism. Triumphalism is the mentality that Christ defeated death. He is God and as his child, I am victorious and I will be rich and I will be successful and I will be exalted. That's not right in this world. That's the next world. That's when Christ returns. But in this life, Jesus made it clear in John 16, 33, right before John 17, which John 17 is the high priestly prayer where Jesus is on his knees going, oh God, help my followers because I'm sending them into the Colosseum where they will be like the scum of the earth. He says, I have said these things to you that... In me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Time reference. Now in this life, you will have tribulation. You will suffer. You will be treated like the scum of the world. But take heart, I've overcome the world. I showed it by the resurrection. I will come again and I will reward you eternally. But you can't get those time frames confused. It's very humbling. It's very... Makes us drop to our knees and say, Who am I to boast? I'm the scum of the world in their eyes. That's the way I'm going to be treated. I'm not going to be triumphant in this life. I will be triumphant that transcends this life. Now, how dare God ask us this and treat us this way? Except that if you claim to follow Christ, let's think about that literally, He's walking... Footsteps in the sand, we love that analogy, right? Well, it's not by a pretty little ocean. His footprints lead to the bloody, gory cross. And if we are following Christ, we are following through suffering to the cross. Philippians 2.5 says this, Paul wrote this about having the mind of Christ, that you think rightly about your life. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he was God himself, but he did not account that equality with God, a thing to be held on to, but a thing to release. He emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. See the same language. Taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. God took on flesh, entered into our suffering, and being found in human form, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. That's the next stage of life. Bestowed on him the name above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He says, you want to follow Christ, that's the path. It's the cross way of life. It's the path of suffering. It's the path of emptying self and any self-glorification and dying to self, living for the glory of God, going to the cross Knowing there is a future resurrection, a future glory that awaits us. Is that how we think about ourselves? There's no room for triumphalism and arrogance and pride, and I'm going to get what I can in this life. It's about giving. You see how that would transform your marriage? And that's the attitude in your marriage? It's transforming. But finally, we see how Paul stewards, how Paul goes about stewarding God's grace. How are we most effective at stewarding the grace that he has entrusted to us? It's becoming spiritual parents. Spiritual parents. Look at verse 14 through 21. He says, look, I don't don't write these things to you to make you ashamed but I'm admonishing you as beloved children. That's, that's loving language. He says, listen, I love you. I know I've had some hard things to say, but I love you like a, a good father loves his son or his daughter. He says, I'm admonishing you like, like my children in the faith. He says, for though you have countless guides in Christ, I'm not just a guide. I'm not just a tour guide. You don't just get dropped off on a bus, and I tell you, go there, turn there, check out that, give you some data history, and tell you how it works, and send you on your way. He says, I'm not just a guide. I'm your father. I'm your spiritual father. I'm invested in you. I love you. I care for you. You have, you have many guides, but you do not have many fathers, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Through the gospel, we become spiritual family. And in many relationships, you should be a spiritual parent to your biological children and grandchildren if God has blessed you with those, but also to other individuals in the body. Other individuals who are trying to follow Christ need you to grab them and say, follow me, imitate me, have this attitude that I have, Learn how to walk with Jesus by walking with me. We can't just say, do as I say, do what the pastor said, but don't do as I do. That doesn't work. It's follow me. He says, I urge you then, 16, I urge you then, be imitators of me. You know, for the good or the bad, we as parents know our children learn by watching us. It's humbling many times. Paul says, that's exactly what I want. I want you to imitate my life. He says, that's why I sent Timothy to you, my beloved, faithful child in the Lord, whom I have modeled for him, and now I've sent in him. And he is going to remind you of my ways in Christ. He's going to remind you, that's how I lived. Do what I did. And this is what I teach them everywhere, in every church. Now, some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you. This is like a dad going, I'm coming home. I've been gone, but I'm coming home and I got a belt. He says, But I'm coming home soon if the Lord wills, and I'll find out. I'll find out, not the talk of these arrogant people, but the power. The kingdom of God does not consist of talk, but it's power. Now, what do you want? You want me to come home with a belt? or you want me to come in love and gentleness? Heed my lesson, is what he's saying. So finally we see if we're going to imitate Paul as he imitates Jesus, then we are going to be spiritual fathers. Now students, you're going, well, that's not for me. That is for you. You can be a spiritual mother, spiritual father, a spiritual mentor, a discipler, If you've been walking with Jesus for five years, find someone who doesn't know how to walk with Jesus. Maybe they've been walking with Jesus for two years. I love, I've heard of many examples of how seniors are starting Bible studies with freshmen. That's being a spiritual parent that Paul says. And as seniors or as adults with our kids, we should be spiritual parents. With our grandkids, we should be spiritual parents. And how can we, as we try to parent, say, do as I do. Imitate me when we know that we fail all the time. How do we do that? We teach them what repentance looks like. We teach them what receiving grace and forgiveness looks like. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It means how many times I can tell you that I go into my kid's bedroom and say with tears, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. That's modeling repentance. How many times have I gone to my wife? Please forgive me. But it's a cop-out to say, do as I say, not as I do. No, we are to strive for faithfulness and we are to grab people by the back of their neck and grab them in and say, I love you and you follow me and I'm gonna make sure you get to Jesus. Who are you mentoring? Because that's how you best steward this treasure that has been entrusted to you father god i pray for your help in doing this it is all about grace it is all about forgiveness that we don't deserve and so even in that context we can say imitate me Because even when we fail, we can model for them what repentance and forgiveness and grace looks like. Help us to do that with our children, our grandchildren, our fellow students in school, our co-workers. Help us to do this. Lord, may we get outside the walls of the church and prayerfully identify who you would have us to connect with identify, invest in them, and invite them into a relationship where they can learn to follow Christ. Lord, we thank you that you are the perfect example of this, that you, God, the holy creator of the universe, revealed this to us as you took on flesh and entered into our suffering. You gave us your word, helping us understand this you died on the cross for our sins so that we can have hope, eternal life, and forgiveness as a gift of grace, meritless grace, that then we can do good deeds and kindness and religion out of gratitude for our salvation and not out of, as a means of earning our salvation. And so, Lord, we worship you this morning as we sing. I pray that your spirit will bring a mighty conviction and encouragement that we have been entrusted with a treasure of infinite value. And no matter what's happened in the past, that this day going forward, we will invite others into a relationship where we say, watch me. I'm going to try to show you what it looks like to follow Christ.